Come behold the wondrous mystery. Amen. Amen. I'm sitting there thinking. Yeah, I wanted to sing that song. If I was going to sing it, that's how I would have done it right there. And uh, don't it just uh, bless your heart to know that uh, I pick up a guitar or try to get on a piano and I can't do anything. And then these guys and many that of y'all can just pick up an instrument and just rock on with it and know how to play it. Uh, God gifts the body with different gifts, doesn't he? Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn me to Genesis chapter 3. Or Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 9, excuse me. The uh, the promise in Genesis 3.15 is on my mind and heart this morning. Genesis 9. We're going to be uh, picking up. Uh, you'll probably have it in your Bible. Pick up in verse 20 to go through. You'll probably have a heading in your scripture that says God's covenant with Noah. And we'll roll down to verse 17 by God's grace this morning. As we walk through the message, God is loving and faithful forever. There are certain things in life that is sure. And this is sure. God is a loving God. He abounds with steadfast love and faithfulness. And his faithfulness endures forever. And the church holds on to that. This is what steadies us. This is who God has revealed himself to be to us. That he is a God who is loving and faithful forever. Thankful to our brother Tyler last week who walked through uh, eight for us and, uh, and, and touched in on uh, 20 to 22. And I just want to segue into that as we look at God's uh, covenant faithfulness. We get in now and we're going to we're going to spend a little time just to um, lay some foundation for us in understanding covenant. Our God is a God of covenant. The God of Israel the God of the Gentiles now, the God of the nations, is a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who he will reveal himself to be. We have seen that the flood thus far is what? It has been a divine judgment from God in response to the evilness of the human heart. Humanity at their core, at their heart, is wicked. Everyone. That's irrespective of American Chinese, whoever, you plug it in. All of humanity is stamped and defined by sin. And the result in Noah's day was widespread corruption and violence. So much so that it sickened God. It broke his heart. And he starts over with Noah. Noah, who we know found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If we ever know the Lord, if we ever walk with the Lord, it is only by his grace. It's only by his goodness. And so this morning we see God's covenant with Noah that he promised in chapter six, verse 18, come now and is established. His uh, is established. He, he gives uh, the instructions or the stipulations between himself and Noah and his, his family and with creation and what they are to do. And so this is some foundational things that we learn about God and his covenant. It's in chapter nine here, as we'll spend this morning, that confirms all the promises made here and back in chapter six, verse 18. So I want to just lay a little bit of foundation before we read the text, because I want it to, I think it'll pop out to you as we walk through. You're going to hear this word, my covenant, my covenant, I will, my covenant over and over here in the text. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? 
growing up in church, I don't remember, uh, and you probably, I don't remember a lot of things I'm realizing now. I'm forgetting a whole lot as I get older. But we need reminding of, of what these terms mean. So what is a covenant? Tom Schreiner has a very simple definition that encapsulates a, a, a lot. But it's, he says a covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties, two groups, two people, make binding promises to each other. And that's what happens here. Except here in this covenant, this covenant, the Noahic covenant as it is known as, was and is because it's still going. The scriptures doesn't speak of this covenant ever ending. This covenant goes on, especially in our time, until the end of time, until the Lord returns. Number one, this covenant was universal. It means that all living people and creatures are involved. It was unilateral. That's meaning that God alone is the initiator. Man really does nothing within this covenant. Uh, his responsibility to this, this is God establishing, reestablishing as we'll uh, learn here and see um, that he's the initiator. We, we've seen that already in scripture. God is the initiator, right? He makes man. We're not a big deal. He is. He's awesome. We're not. But he makes us awesome by placing his spirit in us once he causes us to be born again. So we see that the Noahic covenant is universal, is unilateral, and it's unconditional. No matter what man does now, God will not destroy the earth again with water. The church should say amen. I know there's been times where he thought he's going to flood the earth. Like it, it come rain. It was, it was a flood and lightning driving in this morning. And I was like, the only thing was missing is I just didn't get to see the rainbow yet. So we're going to touch on that this morning. A story that we are pretty familiar with, but there's a lot here. And I want to try to squeeze it in a, in a timely fashion this morning uh, and hopefully show us truths and God would speak to us from his word this morning. The first occurrence of this term covenant showed up here in chapter 6, verse 18. You remember, if you flip over, I'll just share that with you. In the midst of the Lord um, telling Noah he's going to destroy the earth, he says in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wives, and your sons with you and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of sword in the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And then he walks through that. So this word appears first here in this narrative, here in Genesis. And to understand this word in particular, we don't see it in the English as much, but it's very important that we understand this. What God is doing in establishing this covenant with Noah is he's not starting a new covenant. And the Hebrew words here are significant. It doesn't mean to cut. To establish doesn't mean to cut. It means to reestablish, to reaffirm commitments that were already made. And we see this in the construction of this word. And I understand you like me, I'm not great in Hebrew. So I have to go to other sources. One, any linear commentaries and trust men who have studied the Hebrew well. And uh, having, having some training in that has helped me a ton. I'm indebted to my brother Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellham in, uh, in a in a, in a book and a class I took on biblical theology that helped me understand more of what God is teaching us here that then opens up more and more of the scriptures to see just exactly what God is communicating to us. And so I'm not going to get too nerdy, but I want you to understand that nowhere do we read 
here until we get to this covenant with Abraham, which I think we've all heard that, right? Father Abraham, the many sons. We sing songs about it in Sunday school, right? Uh, that is when God will cut a covenant. That's when he establishes a new covenant with Abraham. But here he's reestablished. So a good question comes to mind. What is he reestablishing? What is he starting over again? And you're going to hear this as we read the text here in a moment. I want you to look up on the screen or look in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one there in front of you. You can turn right there at the beginning, Genesis 9. But he's reestablishing the covenant he had with creation with Adam that was then lost, right? It's lost in that the rebellion happened and then God flooded the earth and he's starting over with Noah as a new Adam. That's what he's doing. Now, we all know the story. Does it go well? Is Noah the redeemer? Is he the one who's going to give man his rest? That's what his name means. No, no. He's going to royally mess up, right? As we read on into uh, nine and, and go through his descendants. But God is faithful to keep his promises. So what he is doing here is he is making good on his commitment. God is reestablishing the covenant that he made with Adam and he's starting over with Noah. So as we read this, I want you to listen. Listen to the creation language and it'll be easy to pick up even in the English. That's why the copy of God's word, I hope, I hope just talking a little bit about Hebrew there, it didn't get you all uh, discombobulated. Listen, you don't have to know Hebrew and Greek to know God's word. Is it helpful? Absolutely. That's the original language, right? Um, but our English Bibles are so very accurate. I mean, very accurate. Accurate enough to give you all that you need to pursue holiness and godliness. All that you need to know God and to walk in obedience with Him. To know Him as, as the Lord. And so, I invite you to stand with me as we read. I'm going to pick up in verse 20 of chapter 8. And we'll read the 17. And just listen. Listen to the creation language. First off here in 8, you're going to listen to the worship. And the response of God. This is the word of the Lord in our language. How blessed we are to have it. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And took some of every clean animal. And some of every clean bird. And offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled. The pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart. I will never again curse the ground. Because of man. For the intention of man's heart. Is evil from his youth. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you, the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens. And upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Here it is. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life. That is its blood. And for the lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. And from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man 
in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, as it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, here it is, I will remember my covenant that I that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. May the Lord bless his word to our heart. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Your word is truth and it is good. And Lord, you have told us exactly who you are. We see here in Genesis, Lord, that you're revealing yourself as the good creator. And that, Lord, man, is, we are sinful. And Lord, we need you. We thank you that you're the God of covenant. That you are loving and faithful for all generations. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray this morning, Lord, as we seek to understand more of your word, that your spirit would teach us. Help me, Lord, to communicate your word clearly. Help us to receive it as it is truth, as it is your very word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated together. Amen. Scripture claims to be God's written word. And as such, it is a unified revelation of God's gracious plan of redemption. The unifying theme of the scriptures is Christ. God created the world through Christ, for Christ, and by Christ, Colossians tells us. And in all of Scripture, we trace this out. In regard to what Scripture actually is, what we're seeing as we walk through it and as we read it, it is God is progressively revealing Himself to us. Most specifically in our time, He reveals Himself through His Son, through Jesus, right? He is the manifestation of God the Father to us. We get to see what God is like in flesh and bone. And so God is revealing. God's plan is rooted in history and is developed along a specific storyline. And it's demarcated by the biblical covenants. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to demark? Uh, when I worked for the phone company, any phone men? Or anybody, you hear the word demark, we'd have a demark location point. We would take dial tone to the phone into from the dial tone from the from the telephone pole into a into a house or into a building outside at your house, which this is kind of a thing of the past now, right? We all got cell phones. But you used to have the old remember the old rotary phones, and even before that you had to get on and 
call up, you know, Ellie on the, hey Ellie, patch me through, or, you know, I wasn't picking on my daughter Ellie, but we, there was an Ellie at Bell South down in Savannah. Uh, Sarah put me through, or we watch Andy, Andy Griffith, you know, they get on there and they call in, and, and they would listen in, and Andy would listen in to Barney, that's nothing to do with it, but anyway, I love Andy Griffith's show, but <clears throat> that's not going to help you with the covenant, but anyways, you take the dial tone, comes from the telephone pole to, to the outside of your house, and then from there you run your inside service wire, that would go to your hardline phone, go to your, to that old 75 pound black phone, that if you ever got mad and wanted to and you could use that thing as a weapon to guard your home, right? It weighs so much. And those things still work. We'd have to remove those out of houses as uh, things begin to uh, progress um, uh, with technology. But boy, those old black rotary phones, man, those things were awesome. But anyway, some of you kids, you got no clue what we're talking about. Rotary, what in the world is that, right? Anywho, how about going here? But <clears throat> maybe a little. But anyways, you'd have a demarked location point. The dial tone would go to there, and then it would go to another point. It, if you go to a business, it would go inside like the basement, and from there, uh, all the, all the, uh, your phone system would go off of that demar demarcation point. The covenant served as that. The covenant with creation, the covenant with Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with David, all of these covenants serve as it would of the backbone of the, of the story of Scripture, of God revealing himself. And he, he does this through the covenants because he's a covenant God. Yeah. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And God by nature is loving and faithful. Yeah. He abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. He will see as we walk through. We get through Genesis, Lord willing, we'll walk right into Exodus, and we'll see that he reveals himself to Moses. Right? In the cloud, he descends. The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he shares about his justice, that he will see that justice is served. He, he forgives sin and iniquity, but he will judge those who rebel against him. Right? So the covenants serve as that. They serve as really the backbone of the Bible, of the Bible story about Christ. Listen to this from my brother, Peter, and friend. And he sums this up. And I'm, I, I'm only taking a portion because there's just a little bit more. But the biblical story begins with the fact that there's only one God. This is where we've come already. He has created everything and especially he has made humankind to rule under him. In this context, God is the center of the universe. And we humans find our purpose in having the right relationship to God and to one another. The first man and woman, however... Rejected this way. Now what happens when God is no longer the center of our universe? Who steps in to take his place? Why well, we do. I want to be at the center of the universe. Will this work? No. Because you want to be there too. So chaos and evil have reigned since the rebellion of Adam and Eve. Because we no longer had a right relationship with God. And did not treat each other as genuinely human. God judged the entire human race. And made a new start with Noah. This too, as we'll see, ended up in chaos and evil, as is clear from the story of the Tower of Babel, where God then will confuse the languages. That's how we have so many different languages. This is why there would be a need to speak in tongues. It's because of sin, right? In the beginning, God scatters them, and then God speaks through the different languages so that they hear the gospel when you fast forward so many centuries 
to the book of Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what, are, what, what is God teaching us this morning? What do we see here? Turning back to chapter 8, verses 20, we'll pick up. We see here in this covenant with Noah that he's reestablishing what he has already established with Adam who failed. And he's going to start over with Noah. And let me tell you what, Noah's going to fail. Because here's the thing, man, humanity fails. We sin. We are failures in and of ourselves. We can't make ourselves right with God. We can't make ourselves acceptable in his sight. He is holy and perfect. So we need him to intervene. We need him to take initiative. Have you not seen that already? God has taken the initiative. He loved Adam and Eve so much that he kicked them out of the garden that he may bring them back into the garden. You see, all of this a part of his big plan of demonstrating his glory of redemption, that he is a God who is loving and faithful. And he wants to show that to his image bearers who are indeed rebellious. But now we're not, even though we battle that as Christians. And if, if you're here, you've never trusted in Christ. You are a rebel at heart and you need to repent and trust Christ. So what we see here in verse 20 is we see chapter eight. We see that Noah is worshiping God. Our main point this morning in this verse is God is worthy of our worship. Amen. God is worthy of your worship. Another way to say this, God is worthy of your life. All of it. All of it. You're going to spend it with him or without him very soon. And I trust that you're going to spend it with him. That's what he desires. That's why he's revealed himself to us clearly in his word. Noah is worshiping God. Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of the every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. If you go back, remember, he told him to make provision for this. What he's doing is making sacrifice. This burnt offering that leads us as we'll, we'll see as we get on. I can't spend a lot of time here. But the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of these animals that were being burnt and cooked and smoked. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Noah makes sacrifice to the Lord. He gives his best to the Lord. Why? That's a great question. What has God done? He has delivered him from a catastrophic flood. Think about what he has heard and witnessed with the ear. God was gracious in keeping him probably from, from seeing it with his eyes, right? He closed him in. He closed him in to shelter him. But no doubt he had to hear the, the, the screams. As humanity and creation are destroyed, he comes off this box that's been floating like a bobble for over a year, right? Or 150 days. And, and he comes out of there. What does he do? He worships. He worships the Lord. Listen, this morning, if you have, have trusted Christ as your Savior, he has delivered you from the greatest catastrophe Amen. ever, which is sin and his wrath that abides yes. upon you. That has been so totally removed from you Man. that you now are brought back into the presence of God the Father through the blood of the new covenant. Amen. That covenant we celebrate tonight as we take communion together and celebrate looking back what Christ did. He delivered us from God's wrath. So what is our response this morning, church? What is our response today, tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, when you're tired of work and I just want to go home, right? We worship him. We worship him with our lives. And that comes out in so many different ways. It comes out with, with, with submitting our, 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 our marriages, 
submitting our families, submitting our resources, submitting our church to the Lordship of Jesus. That's what we're a part of. That's what we're doing each and every day. And so it's a daily worship and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And I was meditating on this. It's a daily submission to the Holy Spirit and obedience to the Word of God. We must know His Word for Him to, to continue to change us and make us who He wants us to be. And so the only proper response to God's faithful, loyal love is worshiping and giving God our very best. That's what Noah does. He comes. Now look in verse 21. He says, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from its youth. So guess what is carried on through the ark? Every intention is sinful. God knows, doesn't he? He knew in Genesis 3.15 what he was doing. And he knew exactly what he was doing in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When he created the world, he had a purpose in mind. His glory and the redemption of image bearers to know him in a special, intimate way as the God of covenant, the God of grace, the God of, of forever faithfulness. And so God will respond to worship that is pleasing to him. That second point, look at 21 and 22. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall never cease. I can't stay here too long. I was sharing this morning. I always take you on my first introduction and main point, but our, our first, first point. But here's the thing. You know what we can count on until the Lord returns? The sun come up. Matter of fact, he gives it here to us. The earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. You count on it. It's going to happen. God's promises hold true. Noah's worship and offering please the Lord. And, it, and this burnt offering is pointing us to, I put this in the notes so I didn't overlook it because it, it's really easy to over, overlook it. This is pointing us to the sacrificial atonement needed to, to satisfy God. This is what Jesus, he would become the offering. He didn't literally become sin. He was the sin offering. He himself was perfect and sinless and offered these animals were a representative of that. And so the sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It satisfied him. And although God knew that sin still stamped and defined humanity, God commits really to himself. And he shares that commitment. He shares that covenant with Noah and his family and with us. For it's an everlasting co covenant, right? It goes on for generations. And we're going to see... Then he gives a sign for it. Not every covenant has a sign, but this one does. And this sign is that glorious rainbow that we see. Right? Aren't those things beautiful? A rainbow. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So listen, verses 1 to 17. God always provides clear instructions in his word. He always provides clear instructions. He does not leave us in the dark. We will not come to the end of time and stand before the judgment seat of Christ when he passes out rewards, I'm talking to Christians here, and and say, "Hey, man, I you know I just didn't know I didn't know you well enough." Especially here in America, we have God's word. We can't plead ignorance. We can't say we don't know. We got His word. We got to read His word. The problem is we don't know His word as we are, myself included, because we have to be intentional to spend time in His word. And so we're ever growing in that, right, and learning more and more about the Lord. 
God always provides clear instruction. He has done that right from the beginning. He did that with Adam. He's done that with, with Noah. He's been very clear. He, he, he uses this verse, chapter one, I mean, uh, verse one and verse seven of chapter nine. He bookends and reminding uh, us, you see, we're we're very repetitive, but he's bookending, uh, you know, two bookends on your bookshelf, holding your books up together. What does he bookend? Look at verse one, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does that sound like? What he told Adam. Look at verse seven. And you be fruitful, multiply, increase, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. What he is saying, and, and God bless Noah, he's bookending it with blessing. The blessing of the fruit of the womb. The blessing of, of having babies, image bearers. Children, contrary to our culture, are a blessing. Humanity is a blessing. Every person has intrinsic value because we're made in the divine image, you see. Everyone matters, whether that child is born with a deformity or they have some type of a, a, a physical defect. God is intentional. He knows what he's doing. And because of the fall, you have all of that. But that person still has value. They're still made in the image of God. And our world devalues that. Our governmental system now devalues that. It once did not. It does now. We are killing babies at an astonishing rate. And people are in favor of it. Even inside the church. God help us. Why does it matter? Because it matters to God. Right? And so we stand up. Life is important. God has told Noah and his family. He promises that he will preserve life for Noah. His seed and every living thing. So here, and I was sharing about the covenant. The covenant, if you remember, is a, a commitment or an agreement between two parties to have binding promises, right? Well, here are the two, the, the, the two parties is revealed to us. Who is it? It's with God and all of creation, all living creatures, all living beings, animals, the earth, his image bearers. This is what he makes. We see this in verses 8 through 11. What you see here is the land. He's making covenant. You see the land, you see the sea, and you see covenant. These three, they walk through the scriptures together. You'll see, we'll develop this more and more. I will when I preach and share this with you. The promise of covenant is reiterated here in this text. This is a covenant which God binds himself, God obligates himself, and he will maintain the covenant in spite of human failure. We should say amen because we fail. We fail. Every intention of the heart there in Noah's time was evil, right? But now because of the work of the gospel, not every heart is evil anymore. For he has his redeemed image bearers who he has redeemed, he has justified, and that he is sanctifying. He is redeeming. He is changing. And one day he will glorify when redemption is fully accomplished and applied, I should say, in, in our resurrection of the bodies, right? It has been accomplished at the resurrections. We've celebrated a couple Sundays ago on Easter. And we celebrate this morning. 
that Jesus got up out of that grave and he's ascended after 40 days and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he intercedes for us now that we, we, we get to know him. We get to obey the instructions he's given us in his word and follow him. So the, the covenant is reiterated over and over, but the covenant finds itself, it, its fulfillment in God himself, right? Think about how this points us to the new covenant. Just, just real quickly. I'm not going to go in deep in there. I don't have that here. It points. God keeps both sides of that covenant. That covenant is in Jesus' blood. We'll talk about that tonight. So I encourage you to come back and celebrate communion with us. The, the covenant's in Christ's blood. He's done it all. So now my salvation is not based on how I perform or what I do. When I sin, guess what? I have a high priest who's passed through the heavens who has come to earth, took on flesh, lived the perfect life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, and rose again the third day, so that now all I have to do is come to the Lord and repent and have forgiveness, confess, and He will forgive us and restore, not relationship, fellowship. See, once you're born again and you're saved, that relationship is established. Why? Because God has purchased that, you see. But when we fail and we mess up and we sin, and we do because we have that old nature in us, we then can confess because we have a great high priest who will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1, that tells And so we can keep, we should keep short accounts with the Lord. Keep short accounts with the Lord, brother and sister in Christ. Yes, you've repented and you've been saved, but then your life should be marked by joyful repentance. You do realize that when the God's Holy Spirit and His Word convicts you of sin, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. With repentance and confession comes freedom. That I'm, I'm right with my Maker. And God wants to make me right in my relationships here now. So there's always forgiveness. So that's why there should be joyful repentance. Are there tears with that repentance many times? Absolutely there is. God, what it is, it breaks our heart that we do things that break his. Things that his son dies, died for. The things that his son lived for. We, we should want to live for those things, you see. So we come to the Lord in joyful repentance day after day, knowing that God is making us who he wants us to be. All as we submit ourselves to his instructions. So God is gracious in that he provides an everlasting sign. Look at verses 12 to 17. 12 to 17, chapter 9. God said, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth, the bow is, in the, is seen in the cloud. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy the, all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the remembering of God? Like he, you know, like us, like he forgot something, right? We forget something, right? God is, is committing himself to what he has already done. When he remembers, he knows his covenant. He knows what he has promised. And he keeps all his promises. When I see this sign, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh. 
that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh and all that is on the earth. He puts the rainbow in the clouds. And scripture is used a couple other times, one in Ezekiel, one in Revelation, where you have a complete rainbow. And it's interesting. Sometimes we see the rainbow in scripture, and even now, before the storm. Sometimes you see it during the storm. Sometimes you see it after the storm. God is faithful in every stage of our lives. He is faithful to keep his promise, not to destroy us, but to bring us to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is the ark of salvation, who himself is the one who upheld that boat, right? God gave us the rainbow. And think about, this is what's so wicked in our world with homosexuality and hijacking the rainbow. And, and I'm not sure they even, and I know they don't, they don't understand. They don't understand what they're even what they're even using there for the bow that is placed in the clouds. I want you to think about that. The bow in the ancient Near East was a, was a, a piece of weaponry that had an arrow on it. And they would use bow and arrow. That's right, right? They didn't have guns back then. Um, or God may have said, I put my gun in the clouds. No, he put this weapon. The, the bow is multicolored. It's not now an, an instru instrument of, of uh, harm to earth anymore. Now the bow is set in the clouds. And guess where the arrow is pointing? It's pointing upward. It is pointing to God himself. And it's signifying for us that his wrath will not come upon humanity in a flood. It's coming upon really his son. Who is going to be revealed later in a few covenants. And specifically in the new covenant. In which Jesus will bear the full wrath of God Almighty on your behalf. Wrath has been removed. It's been pointed to heaven. And every time we see that cloud. That rainbow in the clouds. In the sky. Guess who else is looking at it? God is. God is seeing it. He sees the rainbow. And he sees you through that rainbow. And he remembers his covenant. He knows his covenant. Warren Gage says this, the bow is a weapon of war, an emblem of wrath. God will now set it in the heavens as a token of grace. The Lord who makes his bow of wrath into a seven colored arch of beauty to ornament the heavens is the one who will finally command the nations to beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, Micah 4.3. For the Prince of Peace takes pleasure in mercy. And the righteous judge delights in grace. What a sign of grace is the rainbow. A sign of deliverance. A sign of true freedom. Right? Freedom from having to worry. Is it going to flood today? Is God going to destroy the earth today? No. He made, a, he made a covenant. How many of you, when you ride with your kids and you see it, remind them of that covenant. And remind them of this. As you're looking at it, children, God is looking at you through it. Think of it today. Today, holy God in heaven, how does he not just wipe us out as sinners? Well, we've been transferred. We've moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we are covered by the blood of his son in which Jesus sees all of his people as righteous and holy. Through the one man, through the blood of Jesus, are we seen and we are made holy. For there is redemption 
in the blood of Christ. So, as I close, what does the covenant of Noah teach us? Just a few things. It teaches us a lot. Amen. There's a lot here. But just a couple of things. God demands an accounting. I haven't touched on, and I need to go back just briefly in this, and I did this intentionally. Noah, as a new Adam, things have changed. It was plants. Now we're given meat. We get to eat meat. And in one sense, amen. Right? I love meat. Some people are vegetarians. That, that's, that's your view. Um, I like meat. It's good. God made it for us to eat. I give you everything. But he gives specifics. But you shall not eat flesh when it's life, for that is the blood. So we're not to be like animals. An animal will devour another animal and eat it with his blood pumping. It's alive, right? And we kill it, we drain the blood, then we, then we grill it or smoke it or whatever. And we eat it or fry it. We're good about that in the South. But it's good, right? But things have changed. The animal kingdom has will fear man, right? Back in verse 2. So things change, and it says, For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will acquire it, and from every man, every beast that kills a person, that beast is to be put to death. And every person, and here is where we get capital punishment. Is capital punishment biblical? Yes, right here in the scriptures. And it's to be upheld by the government. So that man who is very vindictive, someone killed my family, I would be very hard pressed. If, any, if anyone harms my family, I am going to try to protect my family. The best I can. I'll, I'll stop there. But my vengeance and my anger would get pumping really fast. We know this. Someone says something against your child. Whatever it is, your blood gets going, right? Whether it's true or not, anytime. So it's to be taken to courts. And so there's, should be. And that is misused as well. And has been through history. And it always will be because we're fallen. But justice, God is after justice. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Why is life important? Because God made life in his image. And life is in the blood. Lord is pointing us to so many things here. Number one, what does it teach us? God demands an accounting. Human responsibility is clear. All life is precious to God. Especially those created in his image. See, we're different than the animal kingdom, for we're made in God's likeness to reflect him. Are we more important than animals? Yes. Let me make sure I'm clear on that. Because God is clear on that. Does that mean we don't love animals? Absolutely not. We're to care for them. Take care of them. They, they can provide friendship to us at, at a certain level, but not like another image bearer. You can't talk to us. Although those rascals know. I mean, I, yeah. I'll stay. Animals know, man. They're smart. They're <clears throat> not as smart as you. Because you're created in, in God's image. Number two, God's commitment is throughout all generations. Because God's covenant is everlasting. God is faithful. Amen, church? Amen. He's faithful to you. The rainbow remains as a witness to God and to us. And I said, I put it there so you would remember that. That when you look up and see the rainbow, God is looking down at it. He's looking down at it and you through his everlasting covenant sign. And Noah's covenant points us and we'll walk through these other covenants that 
form the backbone and help us understand the storyline of Scripture. That the new covenant, we speak of this in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we speak of a new covenant to come. That has indeed come. And it's come in the person of Christ. God now sees us as his people through the blood of his son that was shed. His sinless blood. Not any kind of sacrifice. An unblemished, unstained, sinless sacrifice was that of Christ for you and for me. Amen? There's much more that can be said, but I pray that God will make application to our hearts from his word this morning. And we would know if we see that sign of the rainbow in the sky, that God is loving and faithful. And he's going to deliver us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Have your way in the hearts of your people, Lord. If anyone needs to do business with you, they know they can do that right where they're at. They can come to this altar. It's open for them to pray and confess to you. And that you, Lord, will hear. We know that you hear and we know that you see. So God, thank you that you're the God who knows and the God who sees. You're the God who rescues and saves. You're the God who restores and redeems. Have your way by your spirit for your glory and the good of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name.